Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. You guys may be seated. As Eric said, my name's David. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I am pumped to get to preach to you today from Acts 1. You might be wondering, like, well, why are we in Acts 1? Because we've been here, we were in Acts, or we were in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and now we're just in, all of a sudden we're in Acts. Well, what we have right now is something you rarely see at Heights is this, is that we have a standalone sermon. And it just means we're in between sermon series. Next week, we're starting Revelation. We just finished our capital campaign. Someone's pumped about Revelation, at least one person. So that's good. But so what I wanted to do is we've been talking about being um, all of our markers as a church, that, we, that we're a family, that we are story formed, meaning the gospel forms who we are, the story of God, that we're hospitable and that we're missionally strategic. And last week, I preached about being missionally strategic with our giving and how through giving to the capital campaign, the new building is a tool to reach more people with the gospel strategically here in Collinsville, in the Metro East, and ultimately, really, when we don't know who that will impact, it could be to the ends of the earth by using that building as a tool. So I wanted to take how we can strategically do that to boots on the ground being missionally strategic, because by boots on the ground is when we come to realize where we're heading with Revelation. Because the end will come one day, but until then we have a mission to fulfill. It's the Great Commission. And so I wanted to bring all that together and just talk to you guys about that. Because we all have a role to play in that boots on the ground part. But there's a thing about that that we all have a role to play is that it's this, is that we are all economically different, but we're essentially the same. And what I mean by that is this, is that we, all of us, we can read in Genesis that we are created in the image of God. And God says, let's create God Let's create man in our image. He's saying that as the Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so he says, let's create man in our image. And, and what we see in that, and why I say that we're economically different and essentially the same, is that the Godhead, the Trinity, is one God. We worship one God. We don't worship three gods, one God. And they're economically different. And the Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. They have different roles that they play. It's a beautiful picture of how we are created. Each and every one of us is created differently with different giftings, different abilities, but essentially we are the same. We are created in the image of God. And I share this, this whole idea of this, is because sometimes what we do is we don't see that we have a role to play in the mission of God. And so as I go through Acts 1, 6 through 8, I want you to see that you have a role to play. You have a role to play, and I want you to, to ask yourself this question. It's going to be on the screen, and just a little side note for those of you who are big note-takers, this is your Sunday, this is your jam. i got a ton of stuff for you to write down. So just get ready. If you don't have something to write, there's pens and uh, sermon note cards in the chair backs, and you can write it all down. But this question here is, how is God calling you to share in the responsibility of his global mission? Think about that through this whole sermon. How is God calling you? 
you as an individual to share in the responsibility of his global mission. Because as we break this down and we look at passages like today, what we automatically assume in our minds is that witnessing is this thing that reserved for like missionaries and super Christians. There are no super Christians. There are no just this is their job. It doesn't work that way. Hear me, know this about yourself. You matter to God. You matter to him more than you'll ever understand, more than you'll ever could comprehend, and he has a purpose for your life, and that is to fulfill his mission to his glory. That is what we are designed for. There are no super Christians. Yeah, we have people in the Bible like Paul and Peter, and they did amazing things, but yet you live here in this time in 2022 to do what God has called you to do, and I want you to see that. And then Peter himself, he even writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. I love this verse. It's how he opens up his epistle. In Second Peter, he says that he is writing to those who have obtained an equal faith and standing as ours. And so that ours, as he's talking about himself and the other disciples, the other apostles, he's saying, you, you, there's reading this letter, you have the same faith and equal standing as me, Peter. That's a big deal for us to take in. We matter to God. There is not a hierarchy in his kingdom of people. Like he has saved all of us for his purpose, which is to glorify his name to all the nations. So we're all the same. We're all in the same standing. We're just gifted differently to do our part in this global mission. So I ask you again, how is God calling you to share in the responsibility of his global mission? So I'm going to give you a, a, a big idea. And then what we're going to do is we got some points, and we're going to break that big idea down. And again, just take this in. Like, you know, I hope you guys get more excited because you have no idea how pumped I am to talk about missions, for real. Like, this is the second service. You guys are supposed to be the energetic ones. All right, so big idea. Here we go. This is it. A global God empowers and sends his people to be witnesses from the neighborhood to the nations. A global God empowers and sends his people to be witnesses from the neighborhood to the nations. That is it. That is me just summing up Acts 1, 6 through 8, in my own words. He is a global God who's empowering us. He's sending his people out. You are not your own. You are bought with a price, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. So you are his to be his witnesses where you locally live in the neighborhood and to the ends of the earth, the nations. That is what we are called to do. And so we're going to break this down in our first point is this. We are citizens of a global kingdom. We are citizens of a global kingdom. So when we look just a few verses above where we started today in verse 4, it says, and while staying with them, so Jesus staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So he's told his disciples, his followers, stay here in Jerusalem. Do not go anywhere. You're to stay here. So, but wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, someone John the Baptist, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they're waiting there, they're doing what they're told, and they've gathered together in verse 6 to worship him, and, and he, they ask him a, a good question. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is a valid question. These are good Jewish Israelites. Like They know the Torah. They've been studying it their whole life. They know all the covenants of, of Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. They knew that God was going to make his kingdom known, that he was going to reign, that he was going to send a Messiah. Like They knew this. And they're like, well, you're going to restore your kingdom. Because they still, even after everything that's happened, that Jesus gave his life on the cross, buried, died, rose again, they were still wanting him to set up a kingdom then and now, in that present time. Because they were under Roman oppression. 
Roman oppression, like we have no idea. And so they wanted to see that stopped. They wanted to see his kingdom now established. And he says, it's not for you to know. You're not to know those times or seasons. The Father has fixed that. So it's fixed. And see, we now, 2,000-something years later, we're asking similar questions like, it must be the end of times. It must happen now. And it doesn't have to happen now. It's a good question. When is Jesus going to return? But here's some things we can know about when he's going to return. The kingdom of God will be established. It will happen. Like, it's going to happen. It's not a if. It, it is it will. It has. It's already. We're living in, in the not yet, but already tension that we're in, okay? So Jesus is one. He is winning, and he will win. That's why we're digging into Revelation next week. You will see, like, Jesus has won. He's won. He, there's not a question of how this thing's going to end. And then in Matthew 24, 14, like, we can know this. This is the only clue that I could ever give you about when the end will come. And Jesus himself tells his followers that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. So if you're sick of living here in this world, which I do not blame you, then go and spread the gospel to the nations, and he will come when it is over. And until then, these are good questions to ask. But see, the Israelites, these followers of Jesus, were asking in a small mindset. They were thinking geographically that people would come to Israel and they would worship God there. They, they would come there, and they, that would be the kingdom, and everyone would be there. Well, Jerusalem is not big enough to hold all the Christians of all time. It would not work. It is not that big of a place. All right, they're thinking geographically. And then for us, in our current time, what we do is we start to think very politically. As Americans, we start to think, well, there's wars, and there's famine, and there's crime, and there's corruption, and there's just so much going on. The end must be near. Let me assure you of this. Times are no worse now than they were 2,000 years ago. It's just that we have news outlets and social media so you can have a 24-hour access to know about all the nonsense going on in this place that we call home. That's it, guys. It is no different. Jesus Christ is still working, though, to redeem and restore all things back to the original way one day. But that end's not going to come yet. And so is it wrong of us to ask that, like, is the end coming? Is the kingdom going to be restored? And what God is telling them, what Jesus is telling them is, listen, people aren't coming to me, and the end's not yet. It looks bad, I get it. But now the kingdom's going to expand. The kingdom's going to them. See, it's not about people coming to Israel. You're no closer to God in Jerusalem than you are right here sitting in this building in the middle of Collinsville. You're just as close to God right now as you could be if you're sitting in Jerusalem where Jesus prayed or whatever. It wouldn't matter. Like You're here right now in the presence of God. His kingdom is always expanding. We are empowered by a global God. Like He sends us to go and to do this mission. This is what he has done for us. So the borders of the kingdom are expanding to encompass every tribe, every nation, every tongue. That's big, guys. And what you probably don't know, and, and like Corey will talk about how like he geeks out of like different theology things. Here's what I geek out over, okay? You ready for this? This is so cool to think about. Right now in the world, by our estimates, by our human estimates, there's 17,432 people groups. Take that in for a minute. 17,432 people groups. That doesn't mean nations. That doesn't mean um, cities. That's people groups, meaning like dialect and culture, and they're, they're signified by the way they live their life. They're separate. They could be in the same 
town, but be different people groups. There's 17,432 of them that will one day be part of God's global kingdom. Someone will represent, there will be at least one person saved from every one of those people groups that will represent them at the end of times. But the problem is this. Right now, there's 7,416 of those 17,432 people groups that are unreached with the gospel. They will be reached. They will be reached with the gospel because the kingdom will continue to expand and expand. And I want to put this in different terms for you. Right now, there's 7.83 billion people, billion with a B, living today in the world. 42% are unreached. 42%, that's 3.29 billion people. Now, let me explain to you what unreached means because there's more lost people than that. There's lost, meaning you have rejected the truth of God that he created you to be sinless, and yet sin is into the world and we have sinned. You've, 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 that's us. We all are sinners. And that Jesus came to live, to die, to, to be resurrected, to, to provide for us a pathway to God. Like he, Jesus says it himself. He is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's, that's it, okay? So there is knowing those truths, having heard those truths, and saying, I don't want that. I don't need that. I'm going to save myself, which is horrible. But that's what some people think. That's lost. Unreached means I could tell you all that and it'd be the first time you've ever heard it. You're, you've never heard the name of Jesus. You don't know the gospel. You might think, man, there's Romans 1 tells us that all people know that there is a God by creation. But unreached means they've never heard the gospel. There are no churches. There are no other Christians who can take the gospel to them. There is no Bible in their language. That's unreached. And 42% of the world's population lives in that. That's where we sit right now. And God is not going to stop short of seeing his global mission achieved. Now, I would. I'd be like, man, it's been a long time. Jesus has been up here for 2,000 plus years. We're pretty close. I'm going to call it good. I'm going to call it good. Like, I, I would just, I'd get frustrated. God won't. He's consistent. He's, he's true. His promises stay. Like, he's not going to mess this up. Like, he can't. He won't. He doesn't fail. In his chosen method to accomplish this mission us. It's the church. The church. Not, he's not going to do it through anything else. He's not going to use social media. He's not got some like big social media um, campaign that he's going to do to get his word out there. Like He's going to use you and me as the church to take this to the nations. We are the chosen method. But this is the cool thing. He didn't choose us and just leave us to be to figure it out. He equipped us to do it all. And this next thing I want you to see is we are empowered by the global God who has all power. That's who empowers us. It says there in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I, dude, all right, I, they laughed. It's funny. Um, last service, I was talking like, what does that look like for the Holy Spirit to come upon you? Well, we know what it looked like for them in that moment in Acts 2, because that's when it happens. Like they're praying, and all of a sudden the wind rushes in and blows everything everywhere, and then they look at each other, and it's like there's flaming tongues above their heads, like what they see. And I joked in the last service that right now, if the wind rushed in here and blew everything everywhere, and I look over at Corey, and there's a flaming tongue above his head, I'm probably going to pee my pants. 
All right, and then Brad Brockmeyer is like, we're going to start a shirt with all the crazy things that you say when you're preaching, and that one's going on there. But here's the deal, like for real, like that would be crazy, right? But the, the reality is it's for us. The day that you prayed and said, God, save me, I'm a sinner, like you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believed in your heart that he died and rose again. It was like those AED pads out there that I've never got to use on any of you. So if you ever think your heart's messed up, I will shock you with it. But it's just like, like that, and then bam, Holy Spirit in you empowered in you. That's it. Like there's nothing, there's no greater power and it's in you. You're empowered to do all that he's called you to do. So Jesus, he settles this question of when, and then he tells them, hey, don't worry about anything else. You don't need to decipher the, the, the Bible. You don't need to try to go and figure this out. He just says, it's not for you to know, but I'm going to give you the power to go and do everything that needs to happen until then. I've got you. You're going to go be my witness. And he says this because many of us, we feel like we're not gifted. We don't think we're able. We don't think we're competent enough to be his witnesses. And you're right. You're not. And neither am I. I I am not. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Nothing of any worth to talk about. There are Sundays that I guarantee without him, it would be complete and utter just ridiculousness that coming out of my mouth. And sometimes it is even with him helping me. Okay. So like, this is what he does. He gives us his spirit and empowers us because we can't do this otherwise. And he even tells us before he ascends, like in John 14, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So we're going to do everything that he did and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And we know that by him going to the Father, he sends what? A helper, which is the Holy Spirit that empowers us to go and to do this. So you might be wondering, well, what does this empowering look like? How does that work? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone, a spiritual conversation, and all of a sudden, bam, like scripture just comes in your head and comes out of your mouth. And you're like, whoa, I didn't know I knew that. Well, you've read it somewhere in the Bible, obviously. You maybe heard it preached on, talked about, and the Holy Spirit prompted you, reminded you, and it came out because he's there doing that. Have you ever been somewhere and you, and you felt this conviction, this, this thing in your gut telling you you needed to talk to somebody? None of you? Cool. All right. Well, that gut, their gut tells you a lot of stuff. It might tell you something in about an hour when you get home. I don't know. But your gut's not the one telling you you need to talk to somebody. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, minister to that person. Talk to them. They're going through a hard time. They need somebody. You need to share the gospel with them. That's the Holy Spirit moving you to do something. It's those little things where God uses you to do what you didn't know you could do, or in your flesh, or in your flesh that he would even want to do. That's the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to share a story with you um, about my wife. She, if you if you know my wife, you know that she is she's a quieter person, not like not like me. I'm loud, obnoxious, and get on everyone's nerves. Um, she's quiet and laid back, and doesn't get on everybody's nerves. And so, but ten years ago, I think around ten years ago, she was obedient to answer a call to go to Uganda. I got some pictures for you guys. And so, the church that we used to be at in Benton, Illinois, before we planted, they had a very uh, strong mission emphasis to go to Uganda. Um, Uganda, you just it's very poor. You walk the streets of the slums day in, day out when you're there on the mission trip, and you share the gospel to people just time and time and time again. There's a man who I don't have a picture of um, named Dale. Dale is one of the godliest men that I've ever met in my life. He knows more about the Bible than anybody I've ever met 
in my life. Literally, you could ask him any chapter of the Bible, and he will tell you a synopsis of that book, of that Bible. Like, I, sadly enough, seminary educated. And I don't even know that I could tell you exactly how many chapters are in each book of the Bible. Yet, Deo could give you a synopsis of every one of those chapters. Not seminary trained. Grew up in the slums. Okay, so he is sharing. If we can get another picture with a large group like this, sharing, sharing the gospel. I got a video of it that was sent to me the other day. No one responds. So another one of the Ugandan missionaries pulls my wife, his name is Eric, pulls my wife Emily up into in front of about 70-ish people or so. Any of the um, things I mess up in the story, she can correct later and tell you a deeper version of the story, okay? So she then shares the gospel. They've asked her, Emily, will you share? So she shares her story, her testimony, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came, he died, he was lived, you know, all the, all the stuff, right? He born of a virgin, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, buried, rose again. You can have, this is the way to salvation. Every single person raises their hand. Yes, I want that. I'm respond to the gospel. Now, whether or not it is true that they did, that like God knows their heart, we do not know their hearts, but yet she was obedient to do that. Here's the thing and why I share that story is not to make much of my wife, but that's not her jam. Like, if I told you that me or Corey or Mark or Jeff, like, that we did that, you'd be like, well, of course. You guys love listening to yourselves talk, right? Like, you would do great at doing that. That is not her gifting. That is not what she does. That's not her. That's not her. She's not special because she's a pastor's wife. It doesn't roll like that. It doesn't, we don't even, kind of, some of you probably don't even know who the heck I'm even talking about right now because you've never met my wife. You're like, oh, I didn't know who your wife even was. That's cool. My point being in all this is that the Holy Spirit empowered her because she did two things. She was obedient and she was available. That's it. She was obedient and she was available to do exactly what she was called to do in that moment. And I, it was just cool because the other night, like, I didn't have some of those pictures. I was trying to find them on Facebook. We couldn't find them. And so I emailed uh, or called a friend of mine who was on that trip, and he, and he emailed those to me. And so we were looking at videos that he sent us and more pictures than that. And just she will always have that memory to go back to God used me in that moment to share the gospel with so many people. And she may see those people again in eternity because she, she was obedient, but it was because of the Holy Spirit, not because of her. And, and so I don't just think this in theory that God will empower us, but I know it. I know it because he dwells in you. And if you're obedient and available, then that dial's turned up. But when you're not obedient and when you're, when you're not available and you think, well, I don't know why God doesn't use me, that dial's turned down. Of course he's not going to. He's not going to zap you out of Collinsville and just put you over in Africa for a minute so you can share the gospel and feel cool about yourself and then bring you back. He's not teleporting us places. You have to make yourself available to do the work that he's called us to do. So are you going about your life expecting to be used by God in a powerful way or not? Because we live some mundane lives, if we're honest. Right, really, like we do the same things. We go to work, we come home, we make dinner, we, we go, some of us go work out, some of us take, we're taking kids to, to soccer and basketball and baseball and all the things that we have going on. And then we come to church, we go to a missional community. Like it gets repetitive, right? Like, and if we're not going about all of that 
on mission to make disciples, to be his witnesses in all those areas. I'm not belittling any of those events. Those are super important. But if you're not going into those thinking, you know, God, I really would like to see you use me in a powerful way in that moment, then you're probably going to miss out because you're not making yourself available. You're not being obedient. You should be ready to know that your whole life, the whole purpose of your life is to be completely satisfied in the glory of God and then declare that to the nations. It's why we exist, to tell the nations here, from the neighborhoods to the nations, about his glory. So the next point, we exist for the sole purpose of making God known from the neighborhoods to the nations. That's it. It sounds so simple to me. Some of you may be thinking, that's freaking me out. But I'm telling you, this is why you exist. I know all of you want to have purpose. None of you in this room could honestly tell me you're okay with one day passing away and just being forgotten like that, and you made zero impact. You made no difference in the world as you lived here. You were just, eh, whatever. I lived, I died, I'm gone. That is not what you want. You want your life to have meaning and a purpose, and there's not a greater meaning than to take the gospel to those who have never heard it. It is the greatest thing you could do. I'm telling you, I, I just if, if you cannot figure it out by me preaching today, like it is what fuels me. It is why I planted a church. It is why I cannot wait to get back to Indonesia because there's people there who have never heard the gospel. And see, what will happen is this, is that people, as they look for things to matter, they'll say this, this statement gets me every time. Do you want to be on the right side of history? Yeah, duh. Who doesn't want to be on the right? Like, no one wants to look like a moron, right? Like 50 years from now. But I know the right side of history. It's God's side. So I'm going to read these passages with you because this is where we're heading. This is where we're going as mankind. Psalm 67, 1 through 2. It's going to be on the screen. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. All nations. Nothing? That doesn't, okay, cool. That doesn't excite you. All right. Psalm 86, verse 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Okay, we're getting a little bit more pumped up. Let's see this. Psalm 117, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. All right, okay, this is even better then. If that didn't get you, I think this will, because this is where we're going with Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 12. After this, this is John writing what he saw. After this, I looked, and behold, hold on, time out. Listen, he gets a revelation, okay? Not revelations, one revelation of all the things that will come to happen. So he's not writing about something that might happen. This is him getting to see all of eternity played out, okay? So think about this. This will take place, and he just got a glimpse of it. So John wrote this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the throne and before the Lamb, so that's Jesus, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels, so there's angels there too. It's not just us. And they're standing there around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. Amen. That's where history's heading. 
You get to usher that in. That's what we do. We bring that to happen. Like we are, that is the purpose of our lives is to go from the neighborhoods to the nations to see all those people become part of this. It's not optional. It's not a, it's not a maybe I could take a part in that. It's not. He says, and that's the problem. When we read Acts 1.8, we say, well, he says, but we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. I don't feel powerful. And you will be, we'll read it. You might be. He did not say you might be. He said, you will be my witnesses. And, and that's the problem is that we see this as optional. We'll act like it doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. That just applies to the pastors. That just applies to like Thomas and Gwen over in Indonesia. Or that applies to, you know, the Deo that I showed you uh, the picture of there, like in Uganda. Like that doesn't apply to me. No, it does. That's not to say that every single one of you will get on a plane and go to Indonesia. I'm not giving you an out by saying that because you may very well be called and we will talk about that. But my thing is this, is like we all have a responsibility in this global mission. And we'll, the next thing we do, though, is to try to find another out is we'll say, yeah, but David, there's lost people here. Why do you got to go all the way over there? There's unreached people here. I'm going to tell you right now, there are no unreached people here. None. You could say, well, there's unreached people in my office. No, they're not. Because you're there. You're there. They have access to the gospel. You're just disobedient and aren't spreading it. That's it. So if they're, if they're unreached, that's your fault. Don't give it to God. Like, it's on you. Like, do your job. That's what he created you to do. And so there's no unreached people here. So what we do is we say, well, yeah, but maybe, like, we'll see Collinsville saved, and, and then the Metro East, and then Illinois, and, and then the nation, and then I'll go. Nope. That's not what he says. Not how he says it. Because it's then it's... Sorry, I'm getting all worked up. <laughs> You're so excited, dude. Like, you guys have no idea. He says, power come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. So it's and, not then. It's and, not then. We're not waiting. You are continuously working together in this area and to the ends of the earth to say, this is the job. This is what I'm going to do. So we can't take care of here first, and then we'll go there. We have to do this together. That's the Great Commission, too. Like Jesus, he shares it in the same basic idea in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It says, and Jesus came to them, so they're gathered together. They gathered together a lot before he ascended to heaven. Forty days he was here, and he kept talking to him. He kept talking about the same thing. So maybe it's important. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. So he's saying the same thing. Like power, he's got power. He's got it. So he's saying, go therefore because I have power and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the ends of the age. Both of these statements from Jesus are very specific and they encompass all people. All people. But the problem is this, is that we would rather make a lot of Christians than make Christians of all nations. And here's what I mean by that is, did you know that billions of dollars are spent on missions every year? American dollars from American churches. Billions with a B. But the problem is that money, which is great, I'm glad of the generosity of the church, but 99% of that money is spent on places that are already considered reach. So 1% of these billions of dollars, or still a lot of money, are going to those hard, unreached places that you would never sign up on a mission trip to go. And you would talk your kid out of going to if they said, I'm going to go be a missionary to wherever. There's a lot of hard places. And then the, the, the problem gets even bigger because the majority of missionaries that get sent out get sent to places that have access to the gospel. 
And what we've done as the American church is we've essentially said that we are okay with many of the 3.2 billion unreached people in the world living in an earthly hell on the path to an eternal hell. We're okay with it. And if we say, well, no, I'm not. Maybe you personally aren't, but as the collective church, what we've done is we've allocated money to go everywhere else. And we we say, well, yeah, but that's dangerous in that spot. That takes 30-something hours to get there. I don't know about that. I want to go to XYZ. And I said in the last service, I'm not going to name a country or a project that you could go do in another country because I'm not going to be offensive to any of that. There is good work to be done in nations that are reached. There's good work to encourage those believers there. But when we put all of our resources in that just so we can check a box and say we did missions, we're missing it. We're not just checking boxes. We're advancing the kingdom. That has to be the whole thing. And so Indonesia is where we go. And the reason why we go to Indonesia is, is this, is two, twofold. Uh, I'll get to some statistics in a second. But as I planted Collinsville Community Church before we merged, and I knew, like in my mind, like we will be a, a church that's focused in on missions internationally and locally. And that's the, the biggest reason why we merged Collinsville Community Heights together, become Heights Community, is so that we could really zone in on everything that we were all good at so that we could be from the neighborhoods to the nations, okay? But I wanted to go back to Uganda. There's people there that I love dearly, that I've met, and I'd love to see them again. As I prayed about it, it never made sense. I couldn't get a piece about it. But God pushed me to Southeast Asia, which landed me to connect in Indonesia. And the reason why is because Uganda's reached. There are Ugandan Christians who can reach people there with the gospel, are there lost people there? Yes. Are they unreached? No. They're over 70% Christian, I believe. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But did you know that 70% of Indonesia is unreached? Spread over 241 unreached people groups? 241 unreached people groups. Never heard the gospel. That's a big deal. That's huge. It's why we go. And it's hard. It's a predominantly Muslim country. The first time that we went in 2018, a month before we got on our plane, three churches were blown up by terrorists in the city that we were going to. I'm still here. God's sovereign. I trust him. I don't know, people are like, you, you still going to go? Yeah, I'm going to go. I'd rather die a martyr than I would die here a coward. That's me. That's, my, that's, that's me. I'm not putting that on you. I'm just telling you how I feel. So missions can never be a box that we just check for giving and going just so we can say we did it. We have to be strategic in what we do. And we are. Like, we are very strategic in how we spend money, kingdom resources, here locally and abroad. So I want to give you clarity then on what Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth looks like. So Jerusalem is this for us because we don't live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is this. Where do you work? Where do you play? Where do you live? That's it. It's so simple. Like, where do you work? Where do you play? And where do you live? Like, you do things that's the most common places that if I needed to find you during the week, that's where you're going to be. You're going to be in one of those places doing those things that you normally do. Now, Judea would be this. It'd be Collinsville, if you live in Collinsville, or Eddersville, you live in Eddersville. Let's just say the Metro East, because there's parts of the Metro East that you don't, you know, you run to Target, you go to Walmart, you go to Sam's, whatever it is you're doing with your life, like those, that's the Judea. It's the bigger, broader area in which you live, 
and that you do life. That's, that's it. So you're on mission while you're there. Do you know and see those people each and every day? No, of course not, because you're just in and out of stores or coffee shops, whatever. Now, if you're like me and you're in a coffee shop specifically a lot, that would be my Jerusalem. But if you're just running in every once in a while to grab a coffee, then it's just your Judea. Now, I say, well, what's Samaria then for me? Samaria does not have to be, I used to think it would be like national. It does not have to be national. Samaria would be anything that's out of your context. So Fairmont City, for example, 90% Mexican in Fairmont City. You're no longer, most of us in this room, would no longer be the predominant culture or ethnic group in that area. So now you're in your Samaria, North St. Louis, with Michael Byrd. If you went over there to help Michael Byrd plant and do his church there in North St. Louis, that is out of our normal, everyday context. That would be for most of us, are Samaria. So anytime that you do not fit into the predominant culture of that area, or you're part of the majority ethnicity, you're now in your Samaria. I hope that makes sense to you, and you can see how like, it doesn't, it's not about geographic location, but, but more about the proximity of where you're at and, and what's taking place in that culture that places you in those spots. And then to the ends of the earth, Jesus says, well, guess what? I don't even think I need to explain that, but it's everywhere everywhere, like to literally the ends of the earth. And so as a church, what we want to do is this, is that you as an individual have a call in your life, but as a church we do. And so we want to always be equipping you through um, HC Institute and DNAs and, and teaching here and different trainings that we do as an MC, as missional communities, we're equipping you and getting you prepared. And there's finances that you can say, hey, I'm going to tap into that so we can be on mission as a missional community. And then we're, we're supporting church plants like Mike Bird, Bella Faye Johnson, Paul Fernandes, and Belleville, and then Mario Ramirez is coming in, in October to plant the church in Fairmont City. Like we're, we're saying, okay, collectively, we're going to do all this together. And then, yeah, we support missionaries in Indonesia. And we are hoping, and, and in Kenya, and we're hoping that by doing all this, what we're doing is that the next generation of church planters and, and missionaries is raising up because then we're like funneling together to say we're in this, we're doing this, this is it, this is what we're doing through all these methods so that we can be passionate about reaching the gospel. And you think, well, David, I'm never going to be passionate like you, like that you're off the wall. Maybe you guys think that. And I love this quote from David Platt. This is what he says. He says, you can be passionate about reaching the nations with the gospel without being a missionary. Wait for this next part. It's called being a Christian. You can be passionate about reaching the gospel with the nation, or reaching the nations with the gospel without being a missionary. It's called being a Christian. Each and every one of us should care because if we don't, we're saying like, hey, I'm not too worried about who's dying going to hell over in that other country. It just doesn't matter to me. I'm never going to see them. Like we're called to love God and to love others. And this should just drive us. And so as we start to wrap up, I got, I got a few questions for you that's going to be on the screen. And, and, I, and I just, as you read these, I'm going to read them and talk about them. But could you just imagine with me for just a moment, like, what if just one church, our church, was fully bought in to his mission? Like, no more nonsense. Like, we're not like kind of willing to give. We're kind of willing to serve. We're kind of willing to be in community. We're kind of willing to go wherever that may be from the neighborhoods to the nations. Like, none of that was a barrier. And we're like, you know what? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Out of those 241 or 43 people groups in Indonesia, what if we saw one of them, one of them in our lifetime, no longer be unreached? I have a goal. I didn't share this in the last service, but I'm sure there's a, there, in the western end of the island of Thomas and Gwendolyn, there's a Lolan people group. They're the same size as Collinsville. 25,000 something people, unreached. Like 99.8% 
Muslim. What if our church in our lifetime changed that? Could. Could. So let's just look at these questions real quick, and then Corey's going to come up. If you haven't prayed and made yourself available, then how do you know if you're called to the ends of the earth or not? Like, seriously consider that. Like, that's, that's a big question. You, you know, I'm not, and I don't even always mean with that, like, I'm called to go move to Indonesia or go move somewhere else, but maybe just to go on a trip with me to Indonesia or, or a trip that our church sponsors. Next question, is your life oriented in a way that brings you the most glory or in a way to bring God the most glory? And so that, that, that goes to a lot of things, how you spend your time, how you raise your kids, like, I had a lady once tell me as her son sat in my office as a youth pastor, he said that he felt called to be a youth pastor. And she stared in my face and said, he will not be a youth pastor. They don't get paid enough. And I said, amen. They don't. You're right. They don't get paid enough. But if your son feels called to go, then he should go and be a youth pastor. But how are you doing your life? Are you living your, are you living your life and raising your kids and spending your money in a way and doing all that you do in a way that brings you glory or brings God the glory? Next, will you pray about how God would use you to spread the gospel in the neighborhood and to the nations? Like, legit pray about that. And then lastly, I'm asking you, will you pray about going to Indonesia in 2023? We're gonna go. I'm going in a few months to kind of scout it out because they're on a new island. So I'm gonna have all the answers for you in a few months. So Corey's gonna come up. He's gonna talk about that and just lead you to respond to this because this is, this is where we're called. Let me pray. God, thank you that you chose us to do this mission. We, you didn't have to. You could have um, done a whole lot of other things, but you chose to use us to your glory. God, help us to be satisfied in your glory and to make that glory known to everyone else who's never heard it. God, I pray that there's anyone here today that maybe this is their, their first time hearing the gospel, that they've ever heard it clearly articulated, that you sent your son to die for them in their place and, and to pay the price for their sin and that he rose again. God, I, I pray that, God, that they will place their faith in you. And Lord, help us to be a church that is solely focused on expanding your kingdom to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.